Hello, creeps. Welcome to the Horror Vanguard. I'll be your ghost. I mean host for today's exciting tale of terror. Acts of Shin Godzilla. <laughs> Hello everyone and welcome to your first Horror Vanguard episode of May. My name is Ash. I am one of your co-ghosts. I am joined as always by It's John. I'm I'm the other one. I'm that's that's how they refer to us. There's Ash, one of the co-ghosts, and there's the other one, which is me. I'm really glad that that we are referred to. Oh yeah, uh, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. How how are you doing? How are you doing on this fine fine day? I am, uh, I'm 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 excellent. It's um, it's been a good day. I'm super excited about what we're talking about. Yeah, this is going to be a great episode. This is good. This is good. But before before we go any further, a word from our sponsors. This program is made possible by contributions from listeners like you. Go to patreon.com slash horrorvanguard and get access to bonus episodes and other exclusive content. Thank you for listening and stay spooky. It's not wolves. It's wolfing. 20,000 years. Ten times your fucking Christian era. Uh, as you can probably tell by the uh, by the title of today's episode, we are talking about something that we have not <laughs> we have not really, um, you know, horror horror is a massive kind of cultural form, and obviously there are incredibly important aspects of horror that still in the in the hundreds of episodes that we have done, we we have not yet had a chance to to talk about. But now we are correcting one of the kind of most glaring oversights by talking about maybe the most iconic uh, creature in, in, in contemporary cinema. For the first time, we are addressing the, the kaiju in the room and talking about Godzilla, talking about 2016's Shin Godzilla. Um, now, for those of you who may not have seen this or maybe haven't seen the Godzilla movie since, you know, 1954, um, Ash, would you mind explaining what this is all about? Let's take a minute to breathe. We'll take three breaths together. It's okay to follow your own pace here. Let's get started. In and out. In and out. In and out. We breathe in oxygen and burn it up for fuel. Our flesh is radioactive. The black body radiator of our skin and our reactor hearts are emitting radiation day in and day out. We would glow if only we could see each other correctly. Godzilla literalizes the breath. He inhales an infinite life and exhales profound burning. We are so small. Our hands are so small. The radiation we release is not even strong enough to burn away our uncertainty. In the perspective given by our smallness, we delude ourselves into thinking that we are not also the parents of a god. Metaphors make convenient work of the real. They reduce the irreducible down to its most evocative parts and wash away any confusion. 
Godzilla is incalculable, but at least he has the decency to give us something to run from, something other than the self. The real, however, is not so readily cleansed of its own weight. No matter how we cloak, describe, and encode, we cannot contain what we have done. We spring forth from this agony, this negligence, this cosmic failure of parenting. So we breathe, in and out, inhaling particulate-laced fuel and exhaling a hot, burning breath. We sear the necks of our lovers, the ears of our friends, and the names of dead and dying gods to whom we pray. Sisyphus got off easy, and Kronos at least had the gift of foresight. We are beings born from the tale of a god we created. What can there be for us? Join us as we discuss Shin Godzilla. Now, uh, I remember you saying to me a couple of days ago that you thought that the precy that you had written for this episode was the was the best one yet. Um, and I got to be honest, I think you might be right. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, that, that was a particularly fun precy. We like in a way this this there there there's so much to say that you know, this this will inevitably be insufficient because the discourse around Godzilla is 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 like like the creature almost unthinkably vast. So where should we begin? Um I think a good place to begin would be with another Godzilla movie that just came out a few weeks ago. Okay. And that is uh the Godzilla versus King Kong, uh, Legendary Pictures, MonsterVerse mm-hmm. crossover yep. yeah, film. Yeah. Um, and, and generally, generally, I think it's uh, because so I don't know if this is true at, up to the release of this King Kong Godzilla crossover movie. But I know that both prior to the release of that movie, Shin Godzilla made more money domestically in Japan than all American Godzilla movies combined. I wouldn't be surprised if that's still true. I I would love it <laughs> for that to still be true. I think uh, I, I I wrote I wrote my, my one and only, uh, which makes it my most successful medium piece, was written about the kind of politics of the American Godzilla, and I think there, there's a lot a lot gets missed in the translation uh, from from the Japanese context into the American context, uh, namely because we're always treated to a minimum one shot of like some some american fighter planes like doing cool uh stadium flyover maneuvers but they're like doing it next to godzilla mm-hmm. yeah yeah or godzilla like swims alongside some like you know aircraft carriers or something and there's this kind of Im- implicit kind of acknowledgement that godzilla and the military are like working together mm. uh which is hashtag problematic given the history of what godzilla is uh yes let's 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 be blunt there is a um even even in shin godzilla which is 2016 there is an obvious and sustained metaphoric resonance of uh japan's history particularly through uh world war ii um that just is completely obliterated by the sort of militarized cultural uh absorption of you know the american american kind of cultural hegemony you can't you can't incorporate 
a creature that is a metaphor for the violence and devastation of, of nuclear war um, in such an easy and, and straightforward manner, right? Most, most certainly. It, it's, all, it, it's always wrong. You know, it always reduces Godzilla. It, it strips Godzilla of any kind of like useful metaphoric content and reduces Godzilla to like a big monster who slaps bigger monsters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and all all of the other kind of like metaphor because like the these new legendary Godzilla movies are like <clears throat> people want to talk about metaphors for like ecological disaster or climate change or anthropogenic climate change. But really, like that's that's kind of hardly that's like that's in the movie because it was in Godzilla because of the 1954 Godzilla and subsequent Toho movies. Yeah. You know, like it's it's tenuously in these other Godzilla releases. At least at least the 1998 Godzilla movie had had the decency to to tie the genesis of Godzilla uh, into the uh, nuclear bomb testing of the Bikini Atoll or something. Uh, well, yeah, because that's how that one opens, isn't it? That's how that one. That's how that yeah. one opens. Um. So yeah, at least at least they're a little more explicit about it, and that's, and that's a hundred percent because it's a Roland Emmerich film. Uh, mm-hmm. Yep. Who, who is who is uh, uh, and I mean this in the best and worst way a a complete hack of a director. <laughs> And has a kind of outsider suspicion of American uh, corporate and uh, militaristic hegemony anyway. So, Yeah, and that winds up being... We'll get onto this later because like Shin Godzilla certainly does not uh, fully escape being in support of militarization and nationalism. You know, like it doesn't, it doesn't escape that orbit entirely especially in like intra to the japanese context absolutely um but it's still it still wishes to engage this larger conversation and like these so many of these american godzilla movies are just like godzilla is just an extension of military hegemony he's just another weapon you know of mass destruction that could be used effectively against enemies in certain contexts Yes, uh, whereas actually the far more interesting line of argument is to think about um, the, the the kaiju as as both caused effect and symptom of something. You know, caused by nuclear testing or nuclear waste or you know whatever, but also symptom of an actual kind of strangeness and monstrosity within within a uh, a natural world that has been uh twisted and and remade by human activity. Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's a really important thing to highlight as well. Uh and and this will, this I think this will give us a really good pivot to Shin Godzilla, right? Because of how Shin Godzilla updates the Godzilla lore, you know, because our, our initial Godzilla in 1954 is the, the product of a nuclear blast, right? He's a giant monster spawned of radiation. And this is down to like everything about Godzilla's character, you know, like uh, uh, the, the classic Godzilla costume, right? Godzilla's scales are designed to look like colloidal scars, which is a type of scarring that can happen after severe radiation burns. Yeah. 
Um, so like like every single thing about Godzilla is meant to tie into reference and connect back to this history. Uh, Shin Godzilla does the same thing, but it, it, it kind of updates everything. And hang on, there's a note I have to look for because it's a useful and important note. It's in my other stash of notes. <laughs> An interesting, an interesting like behind the scenes Shin Godzilla thing that I really liked is that Toho had a cut of this movie made that was like more a traditional send up to the 1954 Godzilla, where it's just kind of like big monster attack city and gets stopped by Japanese government officials. Mm-hmm. But Hideaki and um, Hideaki Anno and Shinji uh, Higuchi are two co-directors. Yeah. Uh, uh, at, at the last minute switched which film got released and they released their cut of the movie which is very political very engaged and very interesting uh so absolute chad move <laughs> <laughs> i i would i would expect uh this is this is the kind of boldness that i think we come to expect from the like uh, uh neon eon emo jellion gelato guys so uh yeah 10 out of 10 uh, okay so so um, now now that we've angered every neon genesis evangelion fan uh who listens to the show <laughs> uh no uh unfortunately we probably won't do an episode on uh evangelion even though it would be a really interesting conversation to have <laughs> <laughs> but it is it is really cool and you can definitely feel a lot of connective tissues right because even evangelion is like it's discourse rich mm-hmm. you know like it's it's certainly i mean like you know i'll say hashtag problematic twice in this episode you know it goes both ways but like it's not afraid of trying to have conversations and shin godzilla embodies a lot of that spirit and you know like yeah, the the writers and creators of evangelion working on shin godzilla you feel a lot of that connective tissue mm-hmm. yes i think so i think so um well, I, I mean, now that we've now that we're covering Shin Godzilla, does that mean that we're going to have to do ha, how many other how many other movies are there in uh, in total? I think there's like thirty Toho uh, 30, Toho Godzilla films. Thirty one, I think. It's either thirty one or thirty three. It's thirty plus Toho Godzilla movies. I don't know if we want to count the animated features or not. <laughs> um, <laughs> There's a lot of Godzilla out there and there's a lot of different eras of Godzilla and Godzilla's character and personality kind of changes as as we as we go through the years. Godzilla develops character, more character and more identity. Um I I really appreciate that Shin Godzilla was an attempt to like pair that back to the 1954 Godzilla that was just kind of an embodiment of of this kind of apocalypse. Oh yeah, completely. There's there is no uh, anthropomorphizing, really. Um, it's it's a, it's an entirely kind of natural uh, agency that it has. That you know, there's no attempt to be like, you know, the, when they when the the military attack starts and the the, the bombs and explosions start going off. There's no like uh long zoom in on the creature's face as like a, a gigantic single tear wells in a reptilian reptilian <laughs> eye. Uh yeah, God- Godzilla got to definitely does not play basketball in Shin Godzilla, <laughs> so we're we're dealing with a bit of an updated character. And I, I, I appreciate how I mean like the they, they keep radiation as the central metaphor, but now instead of like 
like like the you know Hiroshima and Nagasaki bombings uh it's now about the Fukushima uh, reactor disaster yeah you know now now it's more about environmental issues right it's it's we've shifted the context of what this Godzilla is and I think that that updates things in some pretty interesting ways and it like changes a lot of the political valence here yeah i actually what's interesting is is because obviously um because of the uh mutagenic phases this godzilla goes through um it is simultaneously both a tsunami slash earthquake and the fukushima uh disaster so there's there's this idea of a kind of natural element to it as well as a a created one which i i think does make the focus much more clearly on um the capital scene you know the 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 the, the yes the uh, anthropogenic climate change that, that we are all currently going to have to live through as it gets much worse so yeah i completely agree there's a yes. shift in the political valence yep. and there's a shift in the in the historical context to which the monster is a response and and for me, the the best scene in the movie that encapsulates that encapsulates this doesn't really actually have anything to do with Godzilla. Um, so at the start of the 1954 Godzilla, uh, we're kind of greeted with like a little uh, series of scenes about the Daigo Fukuryu Maru. Yeah. Uh, it was a Japanese fishing vessel, and famously, the fishermen on that vessel were the last people to be killed by American nuclear weapons directly. Um, a lot of people have died indirectly thanks to, you know, cancer and fallout and various other diseases and depleted uranium weapons. But like, uh, they were the last people to be directly killed by an American nuclear mm-hmm. bomb. Um, and this movie starts with a different vessel, the glory Maru, mm-hmm. yeah. um, which I think e- even the name there, there, there's an interesting shift going on, but instead of this kind of like working class fishing vessel that's like the the incident around the lucky dragon number five was that the american government was like no those guys were fishing in waters they shouldn't have been fishing in our testing boundaries are very secure and uh literally everyone else is like uh you're just blowing up nuclear bombs off the coast of japan no one knows what they're doing yeah uh, uh, yeah exactly um, but the, but the Glory Maru, the, so it starts in the, the Shin Godzilla movie, right, where it's just like the Japanese Coast Guard is going out to investigate this boat and they can't find any people on it. And maybe they fell overboard, but they, they say over and over again that it's a pleasure vessel. These are people just kind of out chilling on their like little mini yacht. Um, and that I think, you know, like it really speaks to like the, the, the kind of like elements of the capital scene that you were talking about in Shin Godzilla. Right, our a focal point here is no longer the working class being caught in in the gears of empire, and and that kind of like the, that that unspeakable tragedy, and now it kind of starts with like oh there's there's just you know these probably like well to do maybe maybe wealthy maybe upper middle class people joyriding, and that's our new kind of inciting incident. Yeah, you know maybe maybe there was just a tragic accident rather than. The deliberate violence of the American imperial forces, um, like, and uh, and and that I think actually ties explicitly into what this film is about as as a whole, because this is this is like in a way this film isn't really about Godzilla. This film is about the response to the appearance of Godzilla. Mm, yeah. Um, 
And so I think we should talk about this. We should talk about the, the, the politics of this film. It's a very explicitly political film. We meet many of the most senior politicians in the country. We see lots of um, kind of political organizational responses to uh, the emergence of the kaiju. Um, and, and yeah, we, sh we, should, we should address the, the explicit text of this as a political allegory head on, right? So what do you think? Ooh, I think there's 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 so many interesting and exciting places we can go with Shin Godzilla as political allegory. Um, oh man, I'm almost at like this is this is the exact feeling that I would get as a child going into a toy store. Okay, so where it's just like, oh, I can get anything. Let me let me <laughs> let me let me offer a point of comparison. Um, and because this 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 essentially is. Uh, the question is, how do political decisions get made? Um, so the the um, the most obvious point of comparison, I think, if we're talking about a Godzilla movie, is to talk about Aaron Sorkin's The West Wing. Um, <laughs> mostly because it pion it pioneered yeah. the walk and talk, right? The the kind of very Sorkin esque dialogue. It pioneered the idea of like you solve political problems by having the technocratic intelligentsia be the ones who run and control political apparatus and political force. And of course, everything can, can be solved if somebody just makes the one hard necessary decision. That's, that's how politics works, according to the West Wing, um, the, which has been an insufferable kind of brain rot on the political imagination of, of, centrist liberals in america ever since it stopped airing <laughs> it's just a, a, every every friday we get a new tweet from president biden or vice president harris that's that's like them walking down a corridor and it'll be like another day an, another week of tough decisions the west wing theme plays over the back and it's like this is in contrast right in contrast Shin Godzilla says that actually decision-making is incredibly hard. It's hierarchical. It's often bureaucratic. Uh, honestly, this there are scenes in this which remind me of the thick of it, the great Armando Iannucci uh, satire of British politics, um, because it's literally impossible for people to come to a decision, right? Mm-hmm, Yeah. Yeah, I think um even in our in our like when we were talking about doing this episode and talking about the movie, I think um one of us described this as Sorkinian Godzilla. <laughs> that that is definitely an ash phrase. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think I think this movie it's interesting that it that it's intentionally or otherwise like being in dialogue with that. And I know I know that the directors of this movie like they told their actors that they needed to speak faster in order to sound like people in political TV shows. So, so it's, it's definitely in dialogue. Like the, this has walk and talk. It has scenes, loads you know, of them. Like it, it's, 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 it's very interested in neoliberalism. Um, yeah, this is maybe, this is maybe the spiciest opinion we'll have about this movie, which is, um, I feel like we, we kind of glossed over the fact that both of us really like it and thought it was a lot of fun, but Maybe the, the kind of spiciest opinion is this is this is Godzilla for for Japanese neoliberalism, um, because like the decision making process basically turns into like a farce at various stages, 
like the mm-hmm. the editing yeah. the editing in this is like this is comedy editing because there's like it's it is brilliant my favorite yeah. bit is like a little cutaway to in america where it's like the president has just decided now let's see what the japanese do and it cuts back to like the cabinet can't make up their minds what are we gonna do <laughs> Yeah, I really I loved those quick cuts where it would be the the soldiers out in the field and they're like the the artillery shells aren't working. We need to use the missiles. And then it like cuts to some some general in a different field office who's like, "Okay, we need to use the missiles." And then it's the <laughs> general sitting next to someone in the cabinet yeah. meeting and he's like, "Oh, they say we need to use the missiles." And then she turns to the prime minister and says, "Okay, we need you to let us use the missiles." <laughs> and he's like, "No. Oh, are we sure it's okay?" Uh, cuz they stop. They stop the first time that they're going to uh, try and divert Godzilla because they spot civilians in the firing zone. Um, and mm-hmm. so there is this, the film is, is deeply scathing about Japanese um, politics, seeing it as kind of ossified, bureaucratic, hierarchical, um, incredibly um, deferential to age and experience uh, and uh, deeply cautious, very timid, not not willing to, actually take anything that might be considered a risk um but how do you think this ties into neoliberalism so one thing that i think to be really interesting about this movie um so we're, we're all probably aware uh, at this point that barack obama listed parasite as as one of his favorite movies mm-hmm. of that year um which Okay, we're kind of maybe missing missing the metaphors of the film a little bit. Um, if you're a former president of the United States and you're enjoying Parasite, you probably didn't see that movie the right way. Yep. <laughs> um, also speaks to certainly some of the limitations of Parasite as 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 a text for for the uh, commentary it was trying to give. Um, however, Sh- uh, Shinzo Abe, former prime minister of Japan up until I think 2020, uh, uh, loved Shin Godzilla. He, he said it was a wonderful display of, of Japanese nationalism and how effective, uh, uh, cautious, and exact the Japanese military was. Uh, so we so we have here, I think, a, a bit of an interesting problem in that uh, the Japanese military in Shin Godzilla is, is kind of like bumbling and th- there's all these decision trees. There's so much hierarchy. Like, it's it's very confusing at times. But like, also like, one thing that I found to be really interesting about this movie is that in the American Godzilla movies, it's just like, and, and like Man of, I always go back to Man of Steel because it's one of the worst movies made in the last three decades. Mm-hmm. Like, in, in, incredibly bad film. It's probably the worst post nine eleven film. Man of Steel is very bad. But like in Man of Steel, they're just like, oh no, everybody's in like all the Snyder uh, superhero movies are like, oh no, everybody's been evacuated from this major city. The entire thing is empty because it's nighttime or something. You know, and it's just like it's just the most convenient way to have massive ultra nine eleven scales of damage, but like wash yourself of any like awkward moral questions. Like Superman, Superman does like six nine elevens in Man of mm-hmm. Steel, but he doesn't kill anybody because they were all like on vacation. Everyone's on vacation today. Um, but this movie, like, they go way out of their way. We have so many scenes and so many discussions about evacuations, evacuation procedures, seeing people being evacuated. Like I, I don't know if it's realistic to evacuate these cities in Japan in the times the timescales the movie gives us. Um, my gut says no because that's a lot of people and not a lot of time. But like we we see like scenes of like you know like what looks like every bus in the Tri City area called in to evacuate people. 
people being flown out in helicopters, people being driven out in trains. So it's, we simultaneously see like this actual attention being put into like getting people to safety. Mm. So I think the movie puts us in a similarly conflicted position. That was, that was such a rant. I'm so sorry. I knew, I knew the second I said Man of Steel, there was a little voice in the back of my head that was like, no, Ash, stop. <laughs> no, I mean, I actually think this is something that's worth, worth highlighting, right? So generally, there is some, there is some you know, mistakes and things in, 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 um, on, the, on the part of you know, our blue jumpsuit-wearing politicians. Um, but generally, the reason that Shinzo Abe uh, loved it is that a small group within the government is shown to be hyper-efficient and the SDF mm-hmm. uh, is shown to be, you know, very patriotic, self-sacrificial, yeah. willing to die to defend the nation. Now, the reason that I say that this is, this is a kind of like neoliberal Godzilla is because of, um, of, of, of one uh, character, which is uh, Randa Yoguchi, who is uh, sort of high up in the cabinet office, um, I'm not entirely 100% certain what uh, their position is. Oh, oh, sorry, Deputy Chief Cabinet Secretary. Um, and really, uh, uh, his boss says that Yugichi is kind of a rebel who doesn't who doesn't kind of play by the rules. Uh, but you know, you, you you can't make too much trouble, otherwise otherwise you're going to get yourself into, into you know you'll be fired. But really, the solution to the problem is government is kind of ossified and bureaucratic. So what you need are kind of brilliant technocrats who can cut through the bureaucracy mm-hmm. and assert nationalist self-interest because they're willing to kind of self-sacrifice for the nation. Um, so it, 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 is, it is definitely um, something that a kind of conservative center-right nationalist politician would love to see. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that that is incredibly spot on i i think this movie has a deeply conflicted relationship with bureaucracy and neoliberalism you know because what what winds up saving the day if not a, a bunch of like like literally the the movie like flags them up as like outsiders and people kicked out of academia and people kicked out of the government for just being too weird they wind up preventing a nuclear bombing of tokyo yeah um and so I think the, the the movie it's it's conflicted on these issues, but that that con- that conflict for us as film critics, I think, is just a phenomenal breeding ground for conversation. What's super interesting is the relationship to Patterson as well, who's the bilingual uh, envoy from the U.S. Department of Energy, um, mm-hmm. and the two of them have a conversation right near the end of the film where they're talking, and Patterson says that she wants to be president one day. Um, yeah. And it's like, well, you're gonna need you're gonna need a reliable friend here in Japan, and it's like this is this is the construction of a new, explicitly nationalist right neoliberal world order happening right in front of us at the end. Yeah. Yes. It, it's it's so interesting that this is where a contemporary Godzilla film takes us. You know. And we'll get into this too when we talk about the the coagulant and, yes. and you using yeah, yeah. like a scram to defeat Godzilla. Uh, that I think is probably one of this film's most interesting decisions. 
Um, one of one of my favorite lines, though, uh, was when they find out that Godzilla has like new atomic particles being, you know, forged inside of his mm-hmm. body. And then one of one of like the Japanese researchers is like, oh, oh, of course. OK, that's why the Americans are interested. Um, because it's like this idea of kind of, uh, you know, they even share their data when they're trying to model the solution by um, using, I think it's a European company's supercomputers to do some parallel processing. Um, yes. And it's like that stuff. Uh, there's this weird mix of like nationalism because it's a very patriotic film, especially in regards to the army. And a, a very kind of neoliberal idea of the nation state kind of being uh, a hindrance. And what, what's needed is the fl- free flow of both information and money around the world. Because another character later on says, oh, you know, the bond market's crashing, the stock market's crashing. We're going to need investment. We're, we're going to be desperate for money after this. And it's like, so that's why you're open to the possibility of allowing the Americans to to use a, a nuclear warhead it's because it would be better in the long run economically to allow that to happen so there is a repetition of the yes. of the kind of first instantiation of neoliberalism and a very modern uh analysis of what ne- neoliberalism means in the contemporary moment and not to get us too far ahead of ourselves but when they when it comes time to develop the coagulant and assemble it so many of our shots are like, oh, I'm on the phone with with this company. They're willing to produce this part. And I'm, I'm, I'm talking with China about buying trucks that will transport the coagulant. And like so much of the conversation is is focused on this kind of like catastrophe economy stuff. Like where can we get these resources short notice? How can we buy them? What companies do we have to work with? Who's willing to sell or trade? What future resource to assist us? It is, it is very much a, like, market solution to Godzilla. Yeah, it's like, we're, we're in the middle of a monster movie, but we've got to stop so we can do some business guy shit. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, Godzilla in this movie is not defeated by the scientists. He's defeated by, like, a guy with an MBA. Yeah. <laughs> this is the thing. Yaguchi is an MBA, an MBA guy. That's that's exactly... Mm-hmm. He, he's talking about government. How do we save the day? Through government efficiency, which is code for... The outsourcing of state functions for the private sector, which is exactly what happens, and the minimizing of democratic decision-making process, which is exactly what happens. So, do we want to take a minute to talk about trains? I think we should talk about the real heroes of this film. Let's talk about trains. <laughs> yes, uh, so, so we're, we're going to observe just a moment of silence here for the trains that defeated Godzilla. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Um, yeah, so like at the climax of the movie, uh, a key part of their plan involves like sending explosive trains to kind of like attack Godzilla. And like the, the way the, the way the shot plays out, it's like actually really funny because the, the trains look like they're jumping up and like attacking Godzilla. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, I, I think this becomes incredibly interesting, right? Because in one hand, you trains legitimately will defeat a a significant portion of the oncoming economic disaster. The personal vehicle, the fossil fuel industry that sustains it, all of the petroleum products that go into individualized transport are are a massive driving factor in in the current uh, climate disaster we're living through, right? What will defeat the embodiment of this climate disaster? One of those things is public transportation, the train, 
you know, like the train is the actual thing that can defeat the the metaphor that is Godzilla. But I think there's something really interesting going on in this movie, and it's that this speaks to like all of the points that you're bringing up. This is a heavily neoliberal mm-hmm. movie, and what does neoliberalism just hate? It hates the idea of public transportation. It hates trains, right? It wants everyone to have a car. So what does this movie do? The trains all explode. In order to defeat Godzilla, we need to blow up every single train in Tokyo. <laughs> so it is It is simultaneously that the trains are the thing that can stop Godzilla, but it's also this neoliberalism, uh, you know, like death urge. It's this death drive to just destroy oneself by eliminating like the legitimately good way to solve public transportation and start getting rid of all of these damn cars. We just blow up all the trains and stuff. I, I, um, at a certain point in the film, they have some, um, kind of quick dialogue about the, um, the Godzilla relief bill. I think it's called about how they're going to pay to rebuild after, uh, lots of the city has been destroyed. And it's like, I bet in that bill, there's going to be like, tender for rebuilding the the the, the transit systems you know they're, they're all going to be reprivatized and they're all going to be like uh far more expensive because you know people will need to recoup their investment i think you're completely correct oh they're, they're going to be elon musk loops yeah. <laughs> like like that's that's the horrible thing of what there, there was there was one comment in this where like like um i think it was it was after the first prime minister of Japan is killed by Godzilla. Mm-hmm. The the second prime minister of Japan uh, takes takes power. And, and uh, he's, of course, like the power is more like, you know, foisted onto him. He doesn't really want the job because it's like whoever takes this job is going to ruin their political career because no one wants to be president during a Godzilla attack. <laughs> um, historically, one of the worst times to be the yeah, leader of your nation is, is when is you're being when attacked you're, by when kaiju. You're being, when you're under attack by kaiju. It's just, it's just politically, yeah, it's, it's a bad look. It's impossible to to run after that. There's just no way around it. But like, you know, they're, they're talking about like nuking Tokyo as a last ditch effort to stop Godzilla. Um, and you know he makes this comment that's like oh well if it would have been new york they would have done the un would have said the same thing and i'm just sitting there and i'm like no they wouldn't no yeah no they wouldn't <laughs> i 100% no that would not have happened <laughs> i find the i find the kind of um, cuz the 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 person who gets made acting prime minister is um, the former agriculture secretary yes who's, yes who's mm-hmm. significantly older as well and it's mm-hmm. like there is there's there's some historical memory going on there right this this idea of once again the idea of a nuclear disaster on on japanese soil you know more more bombs being dropped on the home of 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 uh, your grandmother if you're patterson and it's like there's that that response is is kind of super it's not only it's like no no that would never happen it's also really quite sad um it's really you can see that with all of the actors in this movie who are older, like everyone who's like his age, once they start talking about nuking Japan to st- or nuking Tokyo to stop Godzilla, yeah. all all of these like all of like the older men that are like part of this cabinet and part of this new political apparatus, um, they're all like like some of them are just like shouting with anger. Like there's a lot of like sorrow, yeah, yeah. and like uh, one of the things that ends up buying them time at the end um, while they work on the Yaguchi plan to. Uh, hose godzilla down to stop him um 
we we get this one of the most chilling scenes in the movie for me has has this acting prime minister of Japan, um, right? This this formal a- agricultural secretary, um, meeting with uh, like a leader of the French government, and he's like like all like the, just the way the shot is framed, it's 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 a bird's eye view, so directly overhead, all of the Japanese officials are bowing, and and the French officials just sitting in a chair. And and it's just like you know, like oh, we we struck a deal with France at the last minute and got them to stop the UN joint attack to to bomb Tokyo, and it's just like I have no idea what they sacrificed to get France to budge, yeah. but it couldn't have been simple, easy, or anything they would have ever wanted yeah. to do. And like they don't talk about it in the movie, but that scene is just like one of the most chilling scenes. In the no, film. absolutely. There's a lot that's kind of unspoken, right? Because there is a lot of, um, especially with the with the older characters, uh, characters who are well established in the bureaucracy. There's this idea that things can only be the way that they are. Because mm-hmm. here's the thing: the film do- never tells you the solution. The choice is not between an ossified, rigid bureaucratic democracy and you know move fast and break stuff neoliberalism as the only choices. You know what if what if instead there was not not uh the the internationalism of neoliberalism but there was a genuine socialist internationalism that saw it not as a problem for japan that had to be solved to to save the bond markets but as a a crisis for humankind generally just 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 throwing it out there there might be another (laughs) way of dealing with godzilla Um, I, de- I definitely think that uh, we should take a minute to talk about Acts of Godzilla, <laughs> if you will. Yes, absolutely we should. Yeah, I, I think I think this is a, a key part of this movie. So the inciting incident of this movie is the illegal dumping of nuclear waste off the coast of Japan um, by presumably um, a, a Japanese nuclear power plant. Um, so it's a it's a Fukushima style incident that now creates Godzilla instead of the American nuclear bombings, um, which I think is is incredibly interesting, right? Because then when Godzilla emerges, um, and and it becomes quickly evident that what Godzilla is is something that cannot be stopped or defeated in any meaningful way um, by by any extant societal mechanism like people start referring to Godzilla as a god, right? And, and this evokes like a lot of active god discourse stuff, you know? And But I think it's important to kind of like highlight that a lot of like a lot of acts of god aren't like a lot of acts of god are just like intentional flaws in society or things that just fail. Like in Shin Godzilla, Godzilla literally never comes out to exist if there are proper mechanisms in place for getting rid of nuclear waste or properly storing it rather, you know, like Godzilla is directly the result of human negligence. Yeah. I mean, as are so many, like, like when we like an important topic to bring up here is environmental racism and like a lot, like uh, all those hacks on the right make jokes, but like, Oh, the tornado can't be racist. Cause it's just like a funnel of angry wind. And like, that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is that like it is it is people of color's homes who are often in communities that are going to be hit the hardest by hurricanes or tornadoes or something of that like, right? It is it is the working class who's going to be hit the hardest by these things. You know, like there's a reason why rich people traditionally live on top of hills. 
is very hard to flood the top of a hill. You have to really screw things up to do that. And so like th- these acts of Godzilla are not separable from kind of human negligence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, it that that whole what you just said sort of reminded me of what Oppenheimer says in the in the wake of the Manhattan Project tests. Oppenheimer says, you know, I am become death, the destroyer of worlds. It's like it's very easy to outsource the disaster to the responsibility of the divine because it involves the abnegation of our own complicity. Right? You go, well, it's an act of God. You go, well, yeah, not really, because it's it's something that has a causative impact from us. Yeah, no, absolutely, right? We cannot I've been thinking a lot lately about fate and and how we how we internalize it and how we connect to it and how and what what things we choose to write off as like the incalculable motions of the universe uh or the things that are nominally under human control you know and it's like it is it is so interesting to me that the sheer convenience of writing these things off as somehow in inside the wheelhouse of the divine and not just because we're we build society for profit and not for people yeah i mean this is the whole point right godzilla is is a purely natural symptom you know it's not mm-hmm. divine right it's it's phenomenally powerful but it's the whole point is it's entirely a na- it's a new natural creature that emerges um and i i think you're completely correct that this talk of like acts of god referring to it as as somehow unforeseen unexpected is is a way of eliding the 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 production of monsters which human activity on the planet has absolutely yeah 100% <laughs> I think that's a, a great way to sum that up. So, would you want to to talk about um, giving giving Godzilla a bunch of like twisty straws and calming calming our our hungry little lad down with a nice smoothie? <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes. Let's do it. Uh, hey, I get I get I get hangry too, and like a nice chocolate shake or a strawberry shake, you know, that'll calm me right down. I'll also immediately ossify and stop evolving into hundreds of tiny little demon men. So it, it happens. Um, yeah. I, I love, I love like it's, it's played up to be this kind of, the stakes have never been higher. You know, Godzilla has their cool laser blast powers, which are, I have to say just awesome. Um, one of some of the coolest scenes, yeah. some of the coolest scenes in the, in the, in the whole film. This Godzilla kicks ass. It's so cool. By the way, uh, I, one thing I don't like about American Godzillas is that they're like they're sleek mm-hmm. and and they're like tough looking and they're cool, you know. I think that like they're so meaty. Like it, it takes it takes a little bit of something out of their character. And I love Shin Godzilla for being like it's a monster again. Yes, you know it looks horrifying. It's got it's got that same kind of vibes from the original. Like the original Godzilla is just covered in pain. Mm-hmm. It is it is a being born of a suffering that no one human soul can 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 contain or even perceive, and like 
this Godzilla gets back in that vibe uh, uh, like of just being any yeah. kaiju that can blow stealth bombers out of the sky um, is worthy of respect. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, I, I do. I do love how they like specifically address that this Godzilla has like it, like like it's got like a radar array built into <laughs> it. Like it just organically senses radar and and can like and it has like drone countermeasures built it's in. It's amazing and like. I, I just think it's a really cool way to update kaiju and monsters for an era where weapons have changed so dramatically. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, th- I think about like the original King Kong movie where he climbs the Empire State Building and he's swatting at like dorky little aircraft. Yeah, uh, you know, very fragile looking biplanes which are buzzing around. Yes. Um, and, and one of the reasons why King Kong is really hard to update is because like, I don't think King Kong can take a Tomahawk missile to the face. <laughs> even even it's it's easy for me to see godzilla taking missiles because godzilla is made out of like nightmare scales but king kong is a is a very large gorilla you know i have trouble buying that so this is a really cool way to update the kaiju to an era where our weapons have also fundamentally changed um (laughs) yeah absolutely i also i also very much just enjoyed the sentence king kong is just a really big gorilla um, I don't, I don't know why, but that that just really tickled me. Um, I really love the ending. I love the idea of like it's built up into this kind of like really dramatic moment, and then it's like s- sending the guys in cherry pickers with the extendy hoses, right? <laughs> and it's just like there, there's so much going on in the defeat of Godzilla in this one because we have the, I mean, like one, like the tension is real. We've got this ticking clock element where they're going to nuke Tokyo. Mm-hmm, yeah. And like you, I mean, like at least for me, like I've seen this movie like a few times now, and like I just, oh, I always feel the tension in the end there. It's just so well done, you know, because like it, it's we're we're in a minecart that's gone off the rails, you know. It's just flying now, and like it's it's the the machinations of capitalism and society and neoliberalism that are sending this bomb. No, no one's got their finger on the trigger. It's just it's just a thing that's counting down in the background because of shareholders and all of this like really nebulous stuff. Mm-hmm. But then like there's just there's just a bunch of scrappy dorks who are like, okay, like if we if we if we give Godzilla his sippy cup, he'll take a snooze <laughs> and uh, we'll be, all be okay. And it's like it, it's it's got that like old school kaiju vibe where it's just like what what defeats Godzilla? It's just a bunch of dudes doing science and like collaborating together uh, like usually against the orders of like whatever government or corporate power is trying to profit off of the situation uh yeah exactly um but the 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 moral there is not oh democracy is bad because it can't get anything done <laughs> you know that's 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 <laughs> yeah. what people you know you know like someone like uh someone like elon musk would watch this and go you're right we should subvert the state and get rid of it and <laughs> We sh- and we should we should get rid of those trains <laughs> um i love the ending i love the ending but there was one thing that i wanted to ask you about because i know you know more you know mm-hmm. more about the kind of uh, uh the godzilla law than i do which is i wanted to know what you thought about the the final mutation that we see emerging on godzilla's tail so i i thought that that was such a cool and exciting twist at, at the end, because, like, we made Godzilla. G- Godzilla is something that we directly brought into this world, right? Whether you want that analogy to be, like, nuclear weaponry with the old-school Godzilla or this kind of, like, environmental collapse with contemporary Godzilla, or with Shin Godzilla, rather, like, 
this is a being that we have created. We have wrought upon the face of the earth our own damnation. Much like the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man, we we have uh, invoked the form of our destroyer. Oh you my know, god, like, that's created the most this thing. perfect comparison. <laughs> that's, that is... I'm sorry. This that that goes that goes on the on the all time list of best best <laughs> ash takes. That is that's amazing. Our, our, in, our inevitable clip show. <laughs> <laughs> but no, no, like we 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 made Godzilla, and to see at the end of there that Godzilla is remaking us, that 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 Godzilla is going to create kind of like a a new human, you know that we're outclassed by this thing. You know, we don't get to survive what we've done here. And it's it's tragic and it's horrifying. Um, especially like so how they how they they don't kill Godzilla, how they stop Godzilla temporarily is is they they uh make a new kind of coagulant. So it's it's essentially just like a coolant, and then they load it up into a bunch of like uh trucks that are hooked to cranes with giant hoses. And these cranes are really interesting because they have been used in the past. Um, to do like emergency responses to nuclear reactors in Japan that are that are like facing meltdown, right? So they use these in Fukushima, and like it's it's like a known cultural image that like if something's about to melt down, you insert the giant sippy straw in and inject the the soothing uh, delicious smoothie. Yeah. <laughs> um, so like we've got this very evocative imagery with Godzilla here, and uh, so basically what they're trying to do is like Godzilla uh, is a is a living nuclear reactor. Right. So they are going to force Godzilla to to melt down and go critical. And then Godzilla's own biological scram is going to kick in. And so he's going to he's going to do his own emergency uh, like meltdown procedure where he just shuts down his own reactor uh, temporarily while he recovers. Um, and I thought that that was just like such an incredibly clever way of of defeating the monster but then but then at the end to see that like we're we're on the verge of being supplanted you know we we are making a world that we can no longer live and compete in just on a raw biological level like godzilla represents represents the dawn of an ecological system that does not have a room for humanity and we are knocking on that door with environmental collapse and that is one of the most terrifying shots in the movie because they it's not the ticking time bomb of the nuke that's coming to Tokyo. It's the ticking time bomb of like, did, did any of those little Godzilla people get created? Are they free? Yeah. Y- you know, like, like what would have happened if they were an hour later, a half hour later, you know, would, would humanity be completely overrun by this new race of like tiny Godzilla's? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and like this is very terrible. Yeah, right. I, I, I actually think that's the that's the scariest kind of moment because you see the different stages of the the Godzilla mutations or the Godzilla evolutions, where it kind of first like sort of flops out of the water, looking like a giant lungfish, um, with kind of weird mm-hmm. little stubby arms. Um, and it ends as something that's going to bring into being an entirely new kind of creature. Um, it's it's really really good. I really love that that final shot right at the, right towards the end where you see the vague kind of humanoid shapes just waiting to emerge. Yeah, that is that is such a threatening scene. 
Um, one, one thing that I did want to bring up about this ending is that it does kind of break a cycle. Mm. Um, so in the original Godzilla, uh, Godzilla is defeated by the creation of a worse atomic bomb. You know, like it, it, the, the nuclear weapons used on Hiroshima and Nagasaki were nightmarish and should never have been made or used. But in order to defeat Godzilla, they make an oxygen bomb. They, they one up the terror. They make an even worse bomb. So like in the in the original Godzilla movie, uh, they use a weapon called the Oxygen Destroyer, right? Like it's it, to one up the, the terror of the nuclear bomb, right? So they, they have to stop Godzilla by making a worse weapon. Um, and like one, once you once you make a weapon like that, the cat's out of the bag, yeah. right? Other foreign powers are going to want that weapon. People are going to maybe even use that weapon against people. Yeah. Um, and even in the Godzilla lore, like it ends up creating a monster that rivals Godzilla for power called Destroya. Um, funnily enough, the oxygen destroyer makes Destroya the kaiju. Um, but in, in this movie, like they don't they don't take that path. They don't make a weapon to stop Godzilla. They like uh, I don't want to become one of those like I love science guys, but like they they use science. They work together. They they find a communal solution. Right. And they, they use infrastructure to beat Godzilla. Right. They use controlled demolition of some towers to knock him down. They, they use like a, a kind of double edged sword use of their local railway system to stun Godzilla. And then they use like these these trucks and these technologies that were used to to help mitigate the Fukushima disaster to stop Godzilla. Yeah. You know, so they don't they stop Godzilla by breaking this kind of cycle that keeps creating these horrible kaiju. Yeah, and and it keeps keeps Godzilla out of the hands of the the Americans, which I think is an incredibly, um, you know, it, again it ties back into the broadly nationalist politics, but it's that's that's a way of kind of trying to minimize the damage, right? How do you how do you stop the most powerful? Uh, military force on the planet from creating even more spectacular weapons if not by keeping kaiju out of the uh, out, out of the hands of the u.s army <laughs> yeah yeah it's definitely it's it's like interesting to to see shin godzilla stopping godzilla by ending cycles of militarization and enhanced violence and this kind of like persistent global arms race you know, by just by just saying like enough is enough. You know, we're going to take this other path, and I think that's one of the most powerful moments of the movie for me is yeah. that you know when 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 the coagulant plan is in action, um, because it's like it's a total one eighty from pre existing Godzilla stuff and how these things how giant monsters are usually handled in movies. Because it's usually either they win or we kind of like invent a bomb that bombs them so well they're bombed out of existence. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, we we come up with a with a weapon so good it will destroy them, and there could possibly no no possible downsides to this now existing in the world. Right, but I, yeah, I really I really appreciate the end because the end of this is so it's understated. You know, like. They, they they resist kind of the spectacle here at the end and they, they beat Godzilla by these like prolonged shots of like uh, people putting sippy straws in his mouth. Uh, and, and, you know, <laughs> saying things like uh, Crane Battalion 1 has been destroyed. Yes, Send in yes. Crane Battalion 3 and 4. Right? We, we, are at, we are at 50% coolant dispersal, you know? Like it is... It's it's really cool if I'm going to be honest how they beat Godzilla in the end of Shin Godzilla and I think it, it this is this is one of the because there's a, like a lot of the Toho Godzilla movies get kind of silly 
um, you know, because Godzilla becomes silly at a certain. Yeah, point, I mean, of right? course, inevitably, point, our monsters become familiar. Yes, you know, we have Count Chocula cereal for a reason. Um, a reason Bram Stoker probably never thought about. <laughs> uh, you know, Stoker knew that the big money was in breakfast cereals. <laughs> See, it was it was a long play. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah he was playing like, the right, long game. Seventy-five years from now. Yeah. Uh, a little known fact. Half of the profits of all sales of Count Chocula cereal goes to the Bram Stoker estate. So, <laughs> even even less known fact, um, Bram is the the incorrect way to pronounce it. It's actually Bran, like the cereal. Uh, that was him. Oh my god, I'm I'm launching a rival to Count Chocula. A uh, horror vanguard now has a, an official cereal. It's it's called Bran Stoker. <laughs> Oh, that was a bit of a tangent. I think that's. I think. Uh, do you have any? Do you have any parting thoughts on Godzilla? Now that we, we, we've reached the Count Chocula point of the then show, then it's probably time to wrap it up. Close it out. Um, <laughs> I mean, I know. I know. I've been quite critical of, of the show's politics, and but I the show's politics, the film's politics, as you should be. Yeah. But I think it is a really good satire on on. Yes. It does not necessarily endorse all of uh, Yaguchi's actions, and I think I, I I also think there are just some scenes in this which are so much fun. It's a very, very cool Godzilla. This kaiju kicks ass. Um, and it's also really funny. Apparently, it didn't do well with a lot of Western critics because they thought it was had too many subplots and was maybe a bit boring. But I actually think, in places, this is a really funny movie. Um, so if you're looking for an actual good contemporary Godzilla movie, check it out. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, like, I I completely disagree with the too many subplots thing because this is the this is the classic giant monster formula, where it's it's the giant monster just living his best life doing giant monster yeah. stuff, and it's like it, it, constant cuts to a bunch of scientists and and government officials like discussing plans and looking at charts and like like thinking about formulas or whatever, and like I I love that that vibe there, there's there's a realism to this you know watching this is like watching like a news live stream or something oh completely it's really good it's really good that there's my there's my there's my hot take yeah no i i completely agree oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, i think we'll let's go out let's go out with our one of our classic catchphrases i completely agree <laughs> And uh, tune in, tune in next week when we uh, tease the official launch date of Bran Stoker, the number one serial for vampires that you can find all throughout the United States, Canada, and the United Kingdom, coming this summer. <laughs> cut, cut it there, cut it there. That's that's perfect. We're not topping that. Thanks for tuning in, creeps. And remember, stay spooky. <laughs>